It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm David Gardner here each week to educate, to amuse, and to enrich. This is the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. We talk about the rules that are being broken in our society, in our world, and the the rules that should be broken. Not not bad rule breaking. We're talking about disruptive companies, innovations, uh, people, products, and services that are advancing, that are causing progress to happen globally. And we're just trying to, in our own small way, own a piece of those companies as they go out and strut their stuff and add value to our world. And especially, we get excited about the companies that are disrupting industries, that have new and better approaches, completely new business models in some cases that can be disruptive. And I want to talk a little bit about disruption this week. I first saw Ray Kurzweil speak. In fact, I've only ever seen the futurist speak once at a conference in 2010. And I'm going to lead off this week's podcast with the story that he led off with in that speech some five years ago. I'm paraphrasing, and I'm not doing it as well as Ray would, but here's the run of his thinking. So, we'll just take ourselves back to ancient Egypt. And you and I are asked to make predictions as fellow ancient Egyptians about how our grandkids will be spending their time. And, you know, 3,000 years ago or so, we would have said something like this. Well, I believe that my grandchildren will be doing something very similar to what I am. I'm a farmer, and um, the Nile is very important to me. I hope that it will overrun its banks and cause my plants to grow. Irrigation and better farming is always what I'm thinking about. But I believe you would say, and I would say, that my grandkids will be farmers. Um, And that would have been a pretty good prediction. A hundred years later, you did a pretty good job uh, in the year, we'll go with um, 2750 BC, you did a pretty good job calling what 2650 BC would be like. But as Kurzweil goes on to say, that window of predictability, that look ahead and make a solid prediction, has been narrowing ever since. Um, I grew. I, I was born in 1966. I grew up in. The, I'm a kid of the 70s. Um, back then, I think you could have made a pretty good prediction about what the world would be like. I'm going to say 20 years in advance. You'd say things like. Uh, well, I do believe that satellites will become increasingly relevant, and um, I do think that cable TV looks exciting, and so I predict that there will be uh, more growth of entertainment. Um, and and you, you, you would have been right. You might not have been predicting—you probably weren't predicting the Internet back then, in the mid to late 1970s, but you would have done okay looking ahead 20 years or so. By the time we started The Motley Fool in 1994, I would say that the, the ability to predict what would happen next— was down to about 10 years. And here's one of the ways I, I make that, that assertion. There's a really funny, in retrospect, series of AT&T television commercials. You can find them on YouTube. Highly, highly recommended. Quick viewing. AT&T television commercials aired in 1993. Maybe you remember some of these. It would say things like, Would you one day like to drive across the country? without a map? You will. And AT&T will bring it to you. How would you like to say goodnight to your child from a payphone, but actually see them, see him or her, and say goodnight? 
you will. And AT&T will bring it to you. And they went like that. How would you like to, one more, how would you like to conduct your next business meeting at the beach? And there would be a beautiful picture of a man or woman sitting, lounging at the beach, doing video conferencing, circa 1993. What's amazing about these ads is all of them basically came to be true about 10 years later. Things like video conferencing, broadband, GPS, don't need maps anymore to drive across the country. All of them came to be true. And ironically, AT&T in no case was the company that brought that to any of us. Um, AT&T has assisted a lot, and AT&T has benefited from these. But if you go back and watch those ads, you'll be like, no, nope, that, was, that was Google Maps, but they had a good idea there. right?" So that was, that was about 10 years. So now fast forward to today. I believe that that window of predictability has declined from probably 10 years to maybe about two at this point. So think about that. And this is kind of where Kurzweil left us in that talk. Just what does that mean? Uh, I think it's true, first of all. Why is that happening? The reason is that technology itself and the innovation and the practices that make innovation possible are all accelerating and partly because they're spreading. Um, we're getting better practices as innovators, but we're also getting more and more of us innovating. As the entire globe opens up to better trade and better businesses, innovation is going to progress further. And we're starting to talk about some crazy things, things we couldn't even imagine uh, 15 years ago that might be possible. Things like self-driving cars, for example. Uh, things that still sound slightly sci-fi, and yet they appear to be just three to five years down the road. So, as investors, we have to think about this. As rule breakers, we kind of cheer it on. Any technology can be used for good or for ill. The good news is most technologies, most of the time, are used by good people for good reasons. And that's why I think the good guys keep on winning. Um, but there's no question that all of this technological innovation and advancement is very disruptive. But at the same time, it creates great opportunities for us as investors. And I want to just look at a few investing implications of what Ray Kurzweil would call the coming singularity. That point, he would say, where the ability to predict what's going to happen next declines from what I say today is two years to two months to two days. He would even say to two minutes, where you really literally don't know what's going to happen next. Sounds scary. And in many ways, it's chaotic, and we'll never quite get to that crazy, near-real-time unpredictability of what's going to happen. But it's been narrowing, and I only see it narrowing further. So implication number one for me as an investor is that traditional forms of investment valuation continue to be even less interesting to me. So many people are schooled in what's called discounted cash flow analysis where they're running, usually very spreadsheet-driven, very numerical. They're making assumptions about the future of companies. Um, what's the sales growth going to be like five years from now? And they're then discounting that growth back forward to today to arrive at what they consider to be the price that a stock should be trading at. This is a very traditional analysis. It made more sense to Benjamin Graham. It made more sense in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s than it did in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It makes even less sense to me now in the 2000s, um, for the simple reason that the future is coming at you faster than you know, and there's less and less predictability. So investment approaches predicated on making 10-year-out cash flow predictions seem near irrelevant to me. 
Um, there are a lot of smart people who do this, and some of them are great investors. So I'm not saying no one should do this, but I'm saying I don't spend a lot of time doing this. This is, after all, the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast, so you're just hearing it straight from me. So DCF, Discounted Cash Flow Analysis, gets further weakened in the increasingly Kurzweilian world. Let's go with that. Kurzweilian. Ray, you'd be honored to know. I just I just made you an adjective. Um, uh, number two. Number two for me, um, traditional market minds who make discounted cash flow analysis a base of their thinking. And again, this is very prevalent still in the investment world, from investors who think this way to the media, entities like Barron's and very traditional forms of journalism that tend to re-quote over the same people if you see the market commentators and the, the people, same analysts over and over on certain stocks. Um, they're all using, for the most part, that basis for determining what they think is undervalued and overvalued. And so, typically, what's happening is disruptive things are looking and called out to be overvalued. That's the idea that, you know, this thing, you know, how could Google trade at that crazy price? Or how could Uber be worth $50 billion? These kinds of thinking, and it's not just true of Uber today or Google 10 or 15 years ago, it's true of many of the companies that are in our supernova universe. Uh, for Supernova members. Um, if you're a Rule Breakers member, then you know a lot of the stocks in the Supernova universe, and lots of our companies have this kind of, they always look overvalued. Uh, and why? Because by traditional analysis, they are. But I don't think traditional analysis is very helpful and isn't going to find us the next Netflix or Amazon.com. Number three, when people do call these kinds of companies overvalued, these disruptive companies for their traditional reasons, Going back to podcast number five, yeah, I hope you heard it, but you can always go back to it if you like, where I talked about the six signs of rule breakers, and I talked about the sixth sign, which is when companies are commonly perceived to be overvalued, when they're called out as overvalued by traditional media commentators, this is a great opportunity for us as investors. What that means is, again, the world at large thinks, let's just go back to 1997, that Amazon.com is way overvalued. No profits, you know, companies, just a bookseller online, all that kind of thinking that was prevalent back then. And you see the same kinds of thinking today about lots of different companies. Um, that is keeping people away from those stocks, right? If you hear or see on the cover of Business Week that something is dramatically overvalued, a lot of everyday people are just going to say, I wouldn't buy that stock. Look at that. They were just called out as overvalued. That's exactly what creates some of the great early returns that we can get from these companies, because we tend to buy before most people buy these companies. And consequently, and on the other end, subsequently, we tend to sell well after most people have already sold. And that's in a good way, because most people trade too often. Anyway, so understand that this disruption, these narrowing tech windows causing people to misvalue and tend to underrate the really disruptive companies. This is what's part of the dynamic that's creating our outsized returns in Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Motley Fool Stock Advisor and many Motley Fool services that have this kind of thinking to them. And then a fourth implication, and then we're just about out of time, and that is that I think given the nature of increasing unpredictability of what new technology is going to come along and um, what's Samsung going to copy next or what happens when uh, HBO turns into Netflix? All these kinds of open questions, these really fascinating, dynamic questions, the things we really like to chew on around Full HQ, thinking about the future and knowing that 
coming up with the better ideas often, more often than not are going to give us our best stocks and lead you to better returns. I think it makes more sense to bet on the jockey. Um, and what I mean by that is, it's really the people that are running these companies. They're adding to me. They're adding much of the value, not all the value. Uh, beyond just a glamorous CEO like Steve Jobs, there's an entire culture at Apple. There's an entire culture very celebrated at Google. Sorry. So it's not just about a single CEO or a, a one visionary person. It's just as much about the culture at each of these companies. But those are the things where I think most traditional Wall Street analysis misses it or doesn't really think about it or value that. And we look deeply at that and we say, I want to I wanna own Jeff Bezos for as long as I can. And there's going to be some tough times for Amazon. Sometimes they get negative press. But take it all in all, he's creating an incredibly great customer experience, for me anyway, as an Amazon long-term dyed-in-the-wool Amazon Prime member. And, uh, and we just want to own Reed Hastings at Netflix and Howard Schultz at Starbucks. You just want to buy part ownership in these people, which is what you're doing when you're buying the companies that they own a lot of themselves. And so, betting on the jockey in an unpredictable world where you're not really sure what's going to happen next, the best thing that we can know is that human nature will tend to persist. And in general, in my experience in life anyway, the winners typically keep on winning. Not always, but that's the best bet. So, those are four investing implications. And now, one business implication that I want to point out in closing. And that is that, and let's just go back to Uber for a sec. Uber is worth about $50 billion today. It's a really fascinating case study. Uh, whole books will be written on Uber years from now, looking at what happened, because Uber isn't just a disruptive force in the US, uh, it is a disruptive force globally. In many individual US cities today, it's illegal, or some aspect of it is illegal. Not because I think there's anything ethically wrong about it. I don't think there is anything. In fact, I think it's a wonderful service. That's why it's worth $50 billion today, because a lot of people value hailing a car, not having to wait for a cab, and the other pleasures that come with the Uber experience. But it's illegal because of an unholy alliance, in some cases, between government or the politicians and, in many cases, the taxi cab companies. That's what's largely constricting and constraining Uber. And it's not just about um, the cab companies, although they certainly are active foes of Uber, at least here in Washington, D.C., and perhaps in your city, too, uh, although a lot of this is breaking down and going away. But it's also in other countries. And there was a great article um, a little while back, a couple weeks ago, called Uber Meets Its Match in France. And I would recommend that. It's a Wall Street Journal article just to see what happens when Uber attempts in a very entrenched and largely socialistic society to innovate and compete. In my opinion, anyway, create a better or at least alternative opportunity that anybody should freely be able to choose and enjoy. Um, and so it's fascinating to me to see this sped up innovation, this sped up disruption, and how it rolls across an entire globe of different cultures. And I think. As somebody who's an optimist and tends to see the glass half full, I think the Ubers and Amazons of the world will keep on winning in the end because they are flat out providing, if not a better, in many cases it is a better service, at least another type of service. You could buy a book in a store or you could buy a book online. Your choice, either one. I know which way my money's betting. So I find it fascinating to look at these poster children for taking new innovation that improves the world globally and challenges other cultures 
particularly those with well-ensconced pr protectionism. And I think in the end, what you're going to see is these kinds of barriers are going to tend to roll down and fall apart. And in the end, we're going to say the Wicked Witch is dead. And it turns out we were all kind of rooting on Dorothy all along, whether or not we were actually <laughs> in, the, in the witch's castle uh, wearing her accouterment and defending her, or whether we were actually little Toto invested with Dorothy all along. Thank you very much for listening to this week's edition of Rule Breaker Investing. I look forward to next week. In the meantime, fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.